So we'll be in James. Chapter 1. Dwight Moody once said, If all the time I have spent praying for faith was put together, it would be months. I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not come. Then one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. And now opened my Bible, and began to read God's word, and faith has been growing ever since. That scripture references from Romans 10, 17. I get to um, the privilege of teaching the 5th and 6th graders here each week. And, and my approach to teaching the Bible to 5th and 6th graders is a certain way. And recently I've had some privileged opportunities to share with uh, the, the high school, the youth, um, in particular uh, the boys. And my approach for a teenage boy is somewhat different than my approach for a group of fifth and sixth grade kids. My approach in teaching the men is also little different. And I knew this was a mixed study. I knew there were going to be women mixed in with the men. But it didn't really dawn on me until I pulled into the parking lot and I saw a bunch of women in the parking lot and I looked over at my daughter and I said, oh, there's women here tonight. I'm teaching women tonight. And she chuckled and said, do you need to change your study? I said, no, but I may modify my approach. I, I hit the guys pretty hard, do I not? I'd like to have a brief overlook of this three-page letter from James. To me, the key verse is chapter 2, verse 26. It says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. James's point is that faith without works cannot be called faith. Faith must work. Faith must be visible. Faith inspires action. And James is expanding this precept that faith is demonstrated by good works. Everything that we do in our lives is to be rooted in our faith in Jesus. When I'm on vacation, when I'm fishing, when I'm hunting, when I'm whatever, when I'm working, when I'm at home, when I'm watching TV, no matter what I'm doing, it is to be rooted in Jesus Christ. 
What am I watching? What am I listening to? What am I seeing? What am I saying? Who am I hanging out with? What am I doing? How am I acting? It's, it's not just a Sunday thing. And you all know this. Because it's Tuesday night and you're here at a Bible study. Jesus is the substance of our hope. Although we cannot see him, we see the evidence of him. Hebrews 11.1 1. He is my hope. So James really deals with the topic of faith throughout um, all three pages, or how many chapters we got here? Five chapters. Faith endures trials. Chapter 1, verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We're going we're gonna to go back and we're going to look at that verse in depth tonight. But I wanted to do a, a quick overview of, the, of the, um, the letter here. Faith understands temptation in chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Faith obeys the word and produces doers of the word. Verse 22 of chapter 1, it says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Note, it's important to note here that works are not for salvation. Works, good works are an outpouring of our salvation. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Faith controls the tongue, chapter 3, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Faith acts wisely. Down to verse 13 of chapter 3. He, sorry, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Faith produces a clear separation between the world and submission to God in 4.4. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James isn't pulling any punches. Faith wants, sorry, faith waits patiently for the Lord's return, 5-7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and later rains. Faith prays for others and bears their burdens. 5.16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. That's one of my favorite verses right there. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'm not righteous because of myself. I'm righteous because God has placed his son's righteousness on me. When he looks at me, he sees me as righteous because of my belief in his son. Scripture declares that to be true, so I accept that. I realize that I am righteous in his sight. And when I say a prayer and I mean it, it has much effect. And you've got to believe that. It's not just in, uh, words in, in an empty room in the air. When I pray in faith, God receives it, takes it to himself, and reacts to it. The Bible says so. And so it's true. So we're going to tackle... Chapter 1, the first four verses. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. First part of verse 1 there, James, we know, is the half-brother to Jesus. Same mother, different father. But notice he doesn't mention his earthly connection to Jesus, only his spiritual connection to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew thirteen fifty five, or the uh, not Jesus didn't say that, but the the bystanders. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? Mark goes on to write in chapter 6, verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were all offended at him. By the way, there's a trivia question there. Was Jesus the son of a carpenter, or was Jesus a carpenter? He was both. Mark 6, 3 says, is this not the carpenter? Now, some folks are mighty impressed with important people. Athletes, movie stars, President Barack Obama. You name it. People are starstruck. 
but I am altogether unimpressed by multimillionaires that play games for a living. They just don't impress me. I don't care about them. You know who I'm impressed by? Guys like Cal Stubner. Cal's a friend of mine. He was a member of this church. And he decided to move down to Nicaragua and start a church. An American gringo. And I see him a, like two years later, Cal, where have you been? He's, and he's just sharing with us, you know, the, the things that God's doing down there. I said, so when are you coming back? And he goes, coming back? I ain't coming back. That guy blew me away. He's following God. That impresses me. But the only one that I am in awe of is Jesus, the almighty creator, the savior of the world, the lover of my soul. Once you've met Jesus, once you've met God, who's going to impress you? sure isn't going to be no basketball player. I know some of you are sports lovers, and that's okay. I'll play basketball. I'll play baseball. Look at the second part there. Um, James calls himself a bondservant. He's a slave by choice. Paul, Peter, James, and Jude all address themselves as bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Slaves by choice. I don't normally get too deep into the Greek or the Hebrew. The English is usually sufficient for me. But every now and then I will look up a word in the original language to get the meaning. And that word bond slave is doulos, which means a slave. Or figuratively, involuntary or voluntary. In subjection or subserviency. A bondman, a servant. The idea is that we have committed ourselves to Christ on a voluntary basis and we have told him we are going to be your servants. We are going to be your slaves by choice. Because if you look at the the history of slavery in America, the slaves weren't slaves by choice. They didn't choose that life. They were forced into that. They They were trying to escape that. Lao Fuk, a Chinese Christian, moved with compassion for the coolies in the South African mines, sold himself for a term of five years as a coolie slave, and was transported to Demurma to carry the gospel to his countrymen who were working there. He toiled in the mines with them and preached Jesus. 
while he toiled until he had scores of whom he could speak as Paul of Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Lao Fuk died, but not until he had won to the Savior nearly 200 disciples who joined the Christian church. Now, where in the centuries has that lowliest feature in the condescension of man's sorrows he took upon him the form of a slave, has it been so literally reproduced as in the case of Lao Fuk? It's rare. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it to be robbery, to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is my greatest example always. Nobody has humbled themselves to the degree that Jesus did. No one. Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 3, saying, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Salvation. That's the goal. The end of my faith. I remember when I first discovered that concept. The end of my faith. What do you mean? You mean... My faith comes to an end? Yes. One day, I will no longer need faith. And that's the day that I'm looking for. Because right now, my faith is hoping in the substance of things that I cannot see. But when I'm with him, I'm with him. I no longer need faith. Faith will be done away with. (laughs) First Peter one, six through nine, he writes in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You know, when I'm, when I'm doing these studies, it, it's every, every time I get a topic or a 
chunk of scripture. Okay, here's this is going to be our text. Okay, we, we want to, we want you to teach a study on this. Every time I, I sit down, it's like the Lord's like dealing with me. Oh Lord, I can't teach that. I, I'm falling short here in this area. Can't we? Let's let's find something else to to teach on. <laughs> but everywhere you go, it doesn't matter. I fall short. God will force no person to serve him. We must volunteer. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm working on this study and we're going through the verses and we're, I'm, I'm breaking them down and I'm looking them up and cross-referencing and occasionally looking at the Greek. I looked at one Greek word. This, there's no more Greek in this study. And the Lord's just dealing with me, and I'm meditating on this stuff, and I'm, and I'm like, I remember yesterday just sitting there, and I was, I let myself imagine for a while what it's going to be like in heaven. And I was just, I was just enjoying it so much. You know, there's the Lord, and and I'm with him, and he's with me, and you know, we're in, we're in this paradise. I don't know what it looks like. And just all that goes with it, the salvation of my soul. You know, the fact that there's no more sin. The fact that there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more... No more nothing but love and pure joy. Around the clock. First John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Mark 8.35, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I've got to be living for Jesus. I've got to be about the Lord's business. Like when Jesus was 12 years old and he stayed behind from one of the feasts. And his parents went on and they got three days down the road and they couldn't find him. And they freaked out and they went back and they found him. He was in the, in the synagogue teaching the elders. And they said, son, what are, you, what are you doing making us worry like this? And he said, woman. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Imagine being James. And your brother is God. Wow. You set the backyard on fire. He puts it out. I did that. I, I set my backyard on fire. It's very memorable. I don't think I'll ever forget it. Didn't do it on purpose. I mean, it it was my yard. Still in verse 1, James is writing to the Jewish believers there. Notice that he says, To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. You may recall Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. 
in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. No longer is he going to be called supplanter, heel catcher. Now he's going to be called Israel, ruled by God, prince of God. And you may also recall that he had 12 sons. Genesis 29 and 30 lists those. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Ishakar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin comes along a few chapters later. He was a surprise, I guess. But these 12 sons multiplied and ended up becoming the 12 tribes. I remember the Jehovah's Witness came knocking on my door one day. I didn't realize it was the Jehovah's Witness. I thought it was someone trying to sell me solar panels. They didn't even have solar panels back then. That was today. Solar panels today. And this this kid knocks on my door, and, and I open it, and he... He whips out his Bible or his flyers, and I learned pretty quick that he was a uh, Jehovah's Witness, and he starts sharing with me, and I let him know that I was a Christian. I'd probably been a Christian for a few years, and he starts going on and on, and then he, he, he you know, it's all just kind of going past me, like, wow, what's this, you know, he's, he's in the Old Testament, and he's using these obscure verses, just yanking them out of, you know, it's not really making sense to me, and but then he starts talking about the... Uh, 144,000 in Revelation. And so that caught my eye or my ear. And yeah, and, and, and he starts going on and on about him, you know, him being a part of that. I said, Oh, are you Jewish? And he goes, Well, no, no, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I said, Well, how are you going to be part of the 144,000? And so he just started dancing around and around. And I said, Well, time out. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, yeah, that's all figured. And, and so it was just this, this thing, and I got him on it. So I didn't let him loose. And he ended up running away. <laughs> I won that one. <laughs> he was calling for help from across the street, I remember. The 12 tribes. You know, the, um, the Jewish nation. One thing I know about Israel. For me. Don't mess with Israel. Do not. Go against Israel. They may have. Missed their Messiah. They may be in darkness and in sin right now. But I've, I've read the whole Bible. I know that God's not done with them. He's going to pick them back up again. He's going, to, he's going to restart them. Now, two out of every three is going to be killed. That's bad. They're going to make, make Hitler look like Mr. Rogers. It's, it's going to get bad for them. But the Bible says that God will save a remnant of Israel. Do not mess with Israel. And if this nation ultimately turns our backs on Israel, 
that that'd probably be the final straw for God for us. I mean, uh, United States is not even mentioned in Scripture. We're just a we're just a puff of smoke in history. But now James says something seemingly bizarre and ridiculous on the surface. Look at verse two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I remember the first time I read that. I I couldn't figure out what he meant. Because I'm th- I, I immediately start, to think, start thinking of difficult things that have come my way and the severe lack of joy that I experienced. Persecution. Am I, am I supposed to be joyful in persecution? Grief. Oppression. Maybe you're under attack. Maybe there's uncertainty. You are scared. You are afraid. You're pressured. Uh, Pressured, you're examined, extremely difficult situations, illnesses. Am I supposed to be joyful because I've been diagnosed with brain cancer? Are you kidding me? I'm in financial trouble. I can't pay my bills. Joy. Not happening. I'm freaking out. How about death? Maybe your spouse has died. Maybe a child has died. How's your joy? Maybe somebody has done something to harm one of your children. How's your joy? How about when you're being tempted to sin? How's your joy? So what does James mean? Count it all joy when you have trials. You fill in the blank. You fill in your trial, whatever it is. I can tell you for me, if someone's wanting to harm my child, I'm wanting to commit homicide. I am instantly... Going into defense mode. I mean, that's my flesh. My flesh will react that way. I've, I've been... Uh, I'm a contractor, and so I have these trucks, and I have a lot of tools in my trucks, and my trucks have been burglarized on three different occasions. I never one time have walked outside and said, Praise the Lord. I have no tools. I mean, my first reaction is grab a pistol, get in the car, and let's go hunting. That's my first reaction. But I am convinced that God has protected me and allowed the burglaries to happen without me knowing about it and finding out about them afterwards. Because I can play out in my mind, oh, yeah, you know, if I ever caught the guy... Boy, I'd take care of business and I'd get my tools back. And see, I played this perfect scenario out in my in my mind where I win. We don't win. We lose. 
They're armed. They have knives. They have friends. I end up in jail. I end up in the hospital. I end up dead. That's what happens. God has protected me from coming across a burglary in progress. Flat tire. Man, I got a flat tire. My wife's car engine blew up not too long ago. That was not a happy phone call. For all I know, the car broke down so that she could stop proceeding down the road because God had pr- protected her from an automobile accident 30 seconds up the road. So God, over the years, has begun to teach me how to view trials, quote-unquote trials. Now, we're not talking, James didn't say, be happy when you have trials. And that's a good thing. But he said, be joyful. Take great pleasure. Rejoice. Delight in the source of our satisfaction, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Joy is permanent. Its roots are in God. Happiness is temporary, as are all of our emotions changing with the weather. Get a new car, Xavier's his famous illustration. You get a new car, you're happy, you pull off the lot, someone smashes into you, now you ain't happy. You can go from happy to mad, just like that. Happiness is way overrated. Joy is where it's at, people. As I look around this world today and I watch it spin violently into the pit of hell, I am grieved. I'm grieved for my children, and I'm grieved for this once great nation. It breaks my heart to see what's going on out in this world and in this government. But God is showing me how to find joy in this mess. Because I know the end is near. I know what happens at the end of the world. Because I read the Bible. The end for me means Jesus. Dwelling with him. Ruling and reigning as a king and a priest with him. Judging angels with him. The fulfillment of my faith. And none of that can happen until this world comes to a crashing end. So now I'm like, bring it on. Hurry up. The things in this world are bad, but they have to get bad at the end. And as soon as it gets bad enough, the Lord will return. I love his appearing, and I will not be ashamed. (laughs) He is what my soul is longing for. Nothing else. This world has nothing for me. Not one single thing. My children's souls belong to him. No 
No house, no car, no boat, no possession, no bank account, no career. <laughs> Man, you can have it. I'll sign it over to you. It's just firewood. Second Corinthians 4.17. Oh, these two verses right here. I don't know about you, but I always gravitate toward my favorite verses. Second Corinthians 4.17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I remember when I first discovered that. Back in the early 90s, I, I was reading the Bible as a born-again believer, and I was just, I couldn't believe it. God's Word was speaking to me for the first time in my life. It was, it was amazing. And I was reading these things, and, and I, I would just go over it. My light affliction is for a moment. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Brothers and sisters, we are going to shine like the sun. You realize that? We are going to walk streets of gold. And the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. We will shine like the stars of the firmament, Daniel says. There is nothing that I am going through, as difficult as it may seem, that is worthy to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in me. Back surgery, Pete Iguano, I know the man is suffering, but brother, it ain't worthy to be compared to the glory. Hope that was helpful. Here to help. Our sorrows will be forgotten. Thank God. No more tears. No more pain. Now verse 3, James tells us how to have joy and why we are to have joy. This is the application. How? Verse 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So how am I to have joy? By knowing, having the knowledge. Knowing that God has a plan for our lives and that he is working his plan through trials and testings, he is involved in my life. His word says that he sent his son and his, his son died to pay for my sin. And if I believed that, I would be saved. Okay, I believe that. He saved me. And now he says, now you're my son. Now you're my child. Now you are an heir to my throne. You will inherit all things. And I'm going to work in your life every single day until you make it to heaven. Why, why do I forget this so often? Why does it take me having to sit down and crank out a Bible study to remember it? I should, I should have that tattooed on the inside of my eyelids. 
He's involved in my life. Now, why? For what purpose? That we might become more like him and less like us. From glory to glory. Until that final day. In heaven, there is no sun. There is no moon. Because they don't need it. Because God and the Lamb are the light thereof. And when I see him, I'm going to be like him. So guess what? We're bright and shining. Remember when, when God passed Moses? And he, he tucked Moses in, the, in the, the cracks of the rocks and he put his hand over him. And he, he went by and he, he allowed Moses to see the train of his robe. And just that caused Moses' face to shine so bright that when he went down the mountain, they couldn't look at him. He was blinding them. They had to put a bag over him. We are going to be blinding. Trials produce patience, endurance, and perseverance if we allow them. Remember, we are in a race and we need to make it to the finish line. Okay? Right now, planet Earth, we're still running. We haven't made it to the finish line. My grandma and my grandpappy have. They're there. That's awesome. I'm going to see them again. Hold it together, Daryl. We are in a battle. We are born into warfare. We must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3 This entire life is a test to lead us into eternity. This life wasn't meant to be easy. Romans 5.3-5 And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces Perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Lord is preparing us to be with him in paradise. As the refiner's fire purifies the gold, so God's testings purifies the believer. Acts 14.22, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Second Corinthians 4.17, again, our light affliction is only for a moment, but it's working a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory. Just because a person signs up to be an astronaut at NASA doesn't make them an astronaut. That person must endure some of the most physically demanding tests known to man. Because NASA wants to make sure that they are trusting the millions of dollars invested in the mission into a person that has the ability to survive in outer space and to execute the mission.
Same with Christians. Just because I say I am a Christian does not make me one. Just because I I teach Bible studies doesn't make me a Christian. Just because I have my own Bible with my name on it, that doesn't make me a Christian. I can tell you that all day long. Make no mistake, God is much more thorough than NASA. If you say you have faith in God, your faith will be put to the test. You can fake me out and I can fake you out, but God knows. No one's faking him out. There's some scary scriptures, man, where these guys, they're standing before the Lord on Judgment Day and can't find your name in the book alive. And they said, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did many wonders and signs in your names. And he's going to say, depart from me. I I never knew you. Imagine doing miracles in the name of the Lord and not being saved. Self-deceived. Verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God warns us to let our trials do what they are supposed to do. I'm dealing with some stuff in my life, and I'm, I'm like, I'm just now starting to let go of some stuff that happened last year. Oh, no, no, I I need to hang on to that hate, Lord, because I just, you know, it feels good to hate him. Right? Don't take that from me. It's comforting. He did this. Don't you remember? My hate ain't, ain't bothering that guy one bit. The only one that's messing up is me. Don't let trials and tribulations make you bitter, make you hard, or make you hateful. Those are some hard lessons to learn sometimes. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect. That word perfect means mature. He wants us to be mature. That we would learn to trust him regardless of the situation. That we would learn our lesson. That we would become more like him. If if anyone on this earth was ever done wrong... It was Jesus. Take the father's example, who allowed his only son to be put to an open shame, abused and murdered. Can you imagine the father, the heartache and the grief that the father went through while they were killing his son? You got to be kidding me. Because when I think about that, I... I place myself here and I place my child in that position and I have to stop. I can't even think it all the way through. It hurts too bad.
But he did it for love. He did it to save the very people that were doing it to him. Now look at the word complete. That you may be perfect and complete. Oh, I lied. Here's my second Greek word. Forgot about that one. I can't even pronounce it. Holak leras. And it means complete in every part. Perfectly sound, entire, and whole. That's uh, from the Strong's Concordance, G3650. For you note takers. I just copied and pasted it off my computer. Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't like to read. I'm not much of a reader. I like to look at pictures. I I think I may have read half a book in all of my schooling. I always figured out a way to kind of cheat through. You know, and people are always handing me books. Hey, read this book. Read this. It's a great book. It's a great book. I'm like, does it come on DVD? Because I, I don't want to read. I don't like reading. But there's only one book that I've read back and forth. And it's the Bible. It's the only book I read. It's the only only book for me worth reading because it makes me complete, thoroughly equipped. I get everything else I need from TV. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 20, 20 through 21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. His word makes us complete. Allowing Joy to remain in my life while going through trials and tribulations allows me to be complete. But if I get into the, into the trial and focus on the trial or the tribulation and, and, and let outward circumstances dictate my behavior, I am no longer complete. I am, I'm broken. I'm shattered. I'm messed up. But if I can focus on the Lord and trust Him and, and find my joy... In him, 
It doesn't matter what's going on around me. I will be complete. James is such a rich letter. Literally, you could spend one hour on, on each word. Just The word of God, it just, just keeps unfolding. You notice that? The, deep, the deeper you dig, you can just keep going and it never ends. Now, lacking nothing, that last uh, phrase there of, cha- of uh, verse 4, complete, lacking nothing in terms of possessing godly attributes, love, wisdom, knowledge, self-control. Are you in control of yourself? That's what, I, that's what I ask the youth. Are you in control of yourself? Because that, that's a huge thing. Because I remember being a teenager, and I was not in control of myself. I was running wild. By God's grace, I, I made it through that alive. It's a downright miracle that I am standing here tonight with clothes on and in my right mind. And that's not even a joke. I mean, the things that I was doing, the drugs that I was doing, the way that I was living and the people that I was hanging out with, I should have been dead. It's a miracle. November 20th, 1996, 8.15 p.m. God saved me. I was four rows back in the orchestra pit at the Universal Amphitheater. Greg Laurie was preaching at a Harvest Crusade. Two years prior to that, I was standing in that very exact same spot at a Grateful Dead concert, smoking a a marijuana joint. I got saved in the same spot. (laughs) Weird, huh? We need to be ready for his coming. The bottom line, God wants us to benefit and profit from our trials. After all, that's the reason why he allows them. He is our loving father and he is the source of joy. And he is preparing us for an unimaginable eternity. Moody said, I was down in Texas some time ago. And I happened to pick up a newspaper. And in it, they called me old. Old Moody. Honestly, I'd never been called old before. I went back to my hotel and I looked in the mirror. I can't conceive of getting old. I have a life that is never going to end. Death may change my position, but not my condition, not my standing with Jesus Christ. Old? I wish you all felt as young as I do here tonight. Why? I am only 62 years old. If you meet me in 10 million years hence, then I will be young. Read the 91st Psalm. With long life, I will satisfy them. That doesn't mean 70 years. Would you be satisfied with 70 years? Did you ever see a man or woman... Of 70, satisfied. Don't they want to live longer? 
Would 80, would 90 satisfy you? Would 100? If Adam had lived to be a million years old and then had, and then had to die, he wouldn't be satisfied. With long life, I will satisfy them. Life without end. Don't call me old. I'm only 62. I've only begun to live. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you cared so much for us, that you've given us your word as guidance, as direction, as you speak to our hearts. How you want us to live and the things you expect of us. How you forewarn us of things to come. And how you teach us that trials are your loving way of shaping us and molding us into your image. And so, Father, we are so glad and so grateful for the salvation that you provide for our soul through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice. We love you, we honor you, and we commit tonight to you in Jesus' name. Amen.